What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clue, editor-in-chief of Eater. And my name is Daniel Janine, uh, or Dan Janine, you know. Uh, I am a producer at Eater. Amanda, this week, or I should say this weekend, uh, you had one of your many, but a a particularly magical dining experience uh, in the West Village at a restaurant called Silver Apricot. And you texted me right after being like, something along the lines of like, they go over and above to create a uh, a hospitality experience reminiscent of the before days and even above and beyond that. So you were like, we need to get someone from their team to come on the show. Um, And we did. We did. Yeah. We invited Emmeline Zhao on the show. Uh, Her partner in the business is Simone Tong, who is the chef. Uh, I just love my experience there. And it made me think about how I've had so many dining experiences with varying levels of refinement and hospitality. And I say that in the most empathetic way possible. I know it's an impossible time to be a restaurateur right now. So even the fact that people are serving food, even if they have tables for you outside, like I'm appreciative of that. But then you go to some places and they really are bringing out the fancy wine glasses and trying to provide this kind of premium level of service. Yesterday I went to a place where they had little hooks for your mask, which was cute. (laughs) But there are all these little thoughtful touches and... I just thought it must be so hard to do this in this environment when there are so many things you cannot control. Like during my meal, a fancy expensive wine glass was knocked over in the wind and shattered on the ground. And it's just, there's so much that can go wrong. So how do you do that? That's what I wanted to find out. Talking to her, I was really curious to hear about the actual logistics. Like how do you build the outdoor setup and everything? But uh, I was... Her philosophy uh, for how they are approaching outdoor dining and how they are approaching dining um, with all of these insane hurdles, I found kind of unique and new, and I was excited to hear it. Um, well, yeah, and I think you assume it's all just the answer is just money. Oh, well, we sunk a lot of money into this. And I, don't, I don't think that's always the case. Yeah. Um, so that's good to keep in mind. Speaking of mask hooks. Yeah. Uh, I... I think I would be curious to get your take on this, but I, you know, you walk around, you see a lot of outdoor dining, you see a lot of Tinder dates, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you assume is a f- first dates. Hey, how are you? Yeah, it's good to good to meet you. Whatever. I just think I've seen so many guys, guys, especially with the mask that is like the one that has kind of the not necklace, but it wraps around and then you kind of can tuck it in or into your not into your shirt, but like. It just chills. Uh-huh. I just think, here's what I think. I think if you're on a date or you're doing anything where you're not with your bestest of friends, the mask around the neck look is not for me. And uh, I I don't like it. And I think it, and I was surprised. I've been surprised every time I see it. Why? I don't know. Just, I want to, I want to be swept. <laughs> if I'm being taken out by a. <laughs> you want to be swept off your feet? I don't, well, I think that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I just don't, I don't need the, I don't need the constant, like if you go to the efforts of dressing up, putting on a button down shirt, well, don't cover your shit in a mask. My counterpoint to that is, as we discussed before, you have to be at the ready for when the waiter comes by to cover your face. Yeah. That was my problem with the mask hook is I thought I went to this place. I'm like, oh, mask hook. And, That's I why up, I was and then asking. someone swooped in to pour water. And I was like, oh, God. And I had to grab it and put it. And so it was a lot of that where I wanted to take advantage of the hook. But yet I needed my mask closer to my face so I could cover it at any moment in time. A friend of mine who I went out with last night was saying, you know, she listened to our podcast a few weeks ago. She had just come back from Houston. Good. And didn't know about New York mask culture. Mm-hmm. Because you had come back from Toronto, so you didn't know the New York way of being is you cover your face whenever anyone approaches you at a restaurant. That's just like the way we do things here. 
she went to Morea, which is a very fancy, fancy restaurant uptown in Manhattan with her Houston-based family. And, you know, I think she was the only one doing that. And everyone had to learn, like, this is what we do here. But I think a lot of the people inside of Morea were not necessarily no. following. No, and I have Just found, like Gary He was saying at Le Bernardin. I've found multiple times I've been out and the server has been like, don't worry about it. It's not even that I asked. They'll right. just be like, you don't have to put this thing on. It's okay. And I'm like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So maybe not universally accepted in New York food culture, but I'm glad we're doing it. Anyway, Daniel, we I want to get into this conversation. But first, I do want to do a little You want to ask something about Tinder dates? I want to do a little eater housekeeping, a little bit of promo for a new product we just launched. And I feel like this is a great place to do it. Oh, yeah. You know what? Sell me because, yeah, sell me. Okay. All right. What's I'll going on? Here, here we go. Okay. This is great. So, Daniel, yeah. we have launched a wine club Okay. at Eater. The deal is every month you get two or four bottles of wine chosen by a cool sommelier or wine person from around the country. So I'm going to tell you a few of the reasons why I like it. Um, number one, I like getting wine delivered to my house. I think it's fun. I'm lazy. It's nice to just have something show up at your door and it's a nice little treat. Yeah. Number two, I go out and buy wine. I totally forget about the details of the wine, like right. immediately, like the wine person tells me why they love it so much, why I should buy it. I forget every detail as soon as I leave. So this wine club, you get the two or four bottles. It comes with all the tasting notes. And then you get to go to like a wine tasting party on Zoom where they taste through all the bottles. Optional right. if you want to do that. Uh, other thing I like, I like being forced to try new things. Yeah. Because I might often just go and buy the same bottle over and over and over again. Number four, most importantly to me, I like learning about these people. So I'm very familiar with the big names in the New York wine world. I'm not super familiar with what's happening in Portland or Miami or San Francisco or San Diego, but our eater editors are, and they pick out these sommeliers. Yeah. The sommeliers get to pick their theme and what they're really interested in. It's also small producers, mostly natural wines. It's cool. Yeah. Is the amount that I pay per month, does it, does it, is it, does it vary depending on what I'm getting? It's always $70 or $110, including shipping and taxes. For our listeners, eaterwineclub.com, and they can use the code THIRSTY to get 10% off their first month. Okay, and Amanda, here is Emmeline Zhao of Silver Apricot. We are bringing on Emmeline Zhao. She is the managing partner, and are you also the sommelier at Silver Apricot? I I am. A Silver Apricot. It is a restaurant that opened in the West Village of New York City during the pandemic. Uh, and I just went there last weekend and had the most beautiful time. So, Emmeline, I wanted to bring you on to just talk about what you guys have all been doing there. Well, first, thanks for joining us last week. I'm very sorry that I missed you. Um, Can I make a brief note here and just say that? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, Amanda definitely was aware of Silver Apricot, the restaurant. Um, <laughs> but I, de I was like, hey... Three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I went and I was like, hey, you went, I went first. Well, I'm yes. not claiming that I like the, the claim is here, not that I went first, but I went with Robert Sietzema and then Amanda in our like inter office communication in our Slack said, went to, and I was like, you got to go. And then she's like, and then she posts saying, like, I know Robert has been, but I went to Silver <laughs> Apricot last night and it was incredible. And I got, sorry, I didn't, I didn't credit you, Dan. I'm sorry. Credit. Must credit Dan. Yeah. I like this inner office. I like this inner office shade here. <laughs> anyway, we both love the restaurant. And what I noticed about it were all of the little details. Because I go out to eat a lot right now in New York, outdoor dining. Experiences differ. You go to some places where they basically pack you a box to go and then you unpack it at your seat. And there are some places where, you know, you eat with paper plates. There are some places that do proper service. And then I feel like this was at another level where you have the very high end glassware. The build out was very special. Can you just talk about some of the details that you wanted to ensure were there as you approach this? Um, that's very kind of you to say. And uh, I, admittedly have to say that it's probably you're probably attributing giving me too much credit for it in the sense that it wasn't so carefully curated as much as the thought that was put into it was just what do I want in an experience uh dining out mm -hmm. and 
so much of when you talk about the glassware and the build out is very much how I kind of treat my own home. It's what glassware do I want to be drinking out of? And what silverware do I want to be using when I'm eating? If I'm thinking about something that would make me happy, then I'd imagine that I'd be giving a good experience, if not a better one, to those that walk through our doors at Silver Apricot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the other part of that also is that it's not just me and it's not just Simone that, that puts all these finishing touches on everything that we have at the restaurant. Um, we, from the very beginning, and continue to do so on a day-to-day basis, uh, employ the opinions and thoughts and input of every single person on our staff. And we all come from all walks of life, but also from very unique and formal backgrounds. And each of us brings something classically fine dining when it comes to the restaurant aspect, but also there's a creative aspect that I think isn't large, isn't employed so much in the average fine dining space. I also want to ask about the the business part of that, because a lot of these build outs on the streets are very expensive and you can tell that some cost more than others. And you guys have these beautiful planters and the floor of the structure is like this I don't know what it's made of, but it seems like this wooden floor. Like, how did you have to make those calls and those trade-offs at a time when the, you know, the industry is struggling? Uh, So I'm a huge bargain hunter (laughs) (laughs) and that translates as well. That translates to the beverages that we purchase and the things that we have in the restaurant. A lot of it we did ourselves. So the front patio that we did, we only had contractors build the structure and everything else we did by ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I can even send you photos. I was actually just looking through them last night where they built a blank, basically deck kind of. uh, And we said, we're going to paint it. We're going to deal with all of the rest of it. So we went to Ace Hardware and bought varnish and bought finish and painted it with brushes mm-hmm. and uh pete actually attached a paintbrush to a broom handle so he was like kind of paint mopping the yeah. the varnish on the bottom and uh, i went to the flower district and got flowers for the planters and the barriers i got um they were actually clothing hangers off of amazon so we put those together and put pvc on them ourselves so a lot of that is and frankly i think that that was the it works out nicely for us because a lot, all of that creativity ends up being a personal touch that, yeah. you know, was maybe intended, but maybe not. And it also saved us it's kind of a patchwork elegance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it definitely saved us a lot on the budget side of things. So the partitions between people that have the coat hooks or purse hooks, did you make those or did you find those somewhere? You made those? It's so All of the contractors that are making these plexiglass barriers want to charge $400, upwards of $400 a piece for them. And I said, there was absolutely no way we could do that. I was kind of walking around the city one day just trying to figure out what people were doing that was smart and unique and budget friendly and realized that there was, I I walked by one restaurant that had just one, like kind of like a metal pole that looked like one of those, um, You know, like if you go to a sample sale, they have these like um, clothes hangers, that mobile clothes hangers, Mm -hmm. and they just put kind of plastic wrap over it. And I said, well, we could do this, but probably better. And so I went online and I saw on Amazon a number of different ones. And this particular, it was just a clothes hanger that had like the purse hooks and because it was a clothing, it's a clothing rack. And so it was Mm -hmm. designed for hanging clothes. And well, I thought that was, that's kind of perfect because we can put jackets and purses up top and we can put little baskets in the bottom for hand sanitizer and bug spray because everybody's sitting outside. And again, this was thinking about myself first. I'm the most mosquito attractive person in the entire world. (laughs) I am bug spray for my friends because they all come to (laughs) me. And so for me, I'm thinking, well, what is the thing that I'm most afraid of when I'm sitting outdoors? It's mosquitoes and so we put in hand sanitizer we put in bug spray um and it kind of just it ended up being a really nice little touch because it was something that for me was convenient if i was signing out what was could you talk us through like backtrack a little bit and talk us through what it was like when you were first engaging contractors and uh 
what was that process like? Like, what did you know that you needed from them? Because this is obviously all like new territory for you, right? Well, I think it was new territory for everybody. Right. And if this year has taught us anything, it's that none of us know anything. And <laughs> when you're engaging contractors and you're engaging vendors, it's really just navigating it together. And I think that that comes down to leveling with whoever you're dealing with and being completely honest with them. And I think that more than ever, we've seen that empathy come through in people where it's, I'll give a little because you're suffering too. And, you know, if we give, we each give a little, then we'll all be better off for it. The negotiations with contractors were not tough so much as just having to go through a lot of them and see who was willing to give a little bit more than the other, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like what, what did you need? And are these contractors out? Like, do these contractors now have an entire, like a full-time job building structures outdoors for restaurants? I imagine they do. I mean, there are companies that came out of it. There was, um, there's a, I can't remember the name of it, but I can find it for you. But there was a company that is that out of actually, actually out of the riots, um, or out of the Black Lives back Black Lives Movement, um, out of the protests, they created an entire company just taking down Boarding the up. yeah, well taking no taking down the the um, the plywood that that stores were boarding up uh, that they were using to board up, and they were making outdoor furniture out of it. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, and <laughs> it's kind of incredible that yeah. but at the same time I mean the the furniture that you know they're recycling they're recycling wood but the furniture itself is also extremely expensive so kind of the economics of that don't make a whole lot of sense I, despite the fact that I do understand that labor is, is a lot um how much does a build out like yours cost the restaurant itself or just the outdoors the the outdoors yeah. so the outdoors was well we did it with we did it on a on a shoestring budget so all told it was under five thousand dollars and and that's for how many seats uh well we're fortunate in that we have a garden that we can use and that didn't require a whole lot the so between the patio out front that was what required most of the build out um and the backyard we have depending i would say around 20 seats and then how many would you have had inside? Indoors, we would have had around 24. And then we would have also had the backyard, which could have seated another 16 to 20. And when you are work- working out your budget, do you have to work in like, oh, the wind might knock over one of these fancy wine glasses That's, yeah. and there goes that? Or are you, are you already working wine glass breakage into your normal models? <laughs> Wine glass breakage is less of a concern for me than the wind blowing over one of our barriers and injuring a, injuring a guest. Do you find that people are with that kind of stuff are are people resilient and understanding? Because like a few like a week ago, I was having dinner outside with one of my friends and it was a two sided structure and the back half of it was just a tarp. And the tarp like kept blowing into her head. And eventually we were having a fully normal conversation where she just had her hand extended behind her holding the tarp back. And it was just like, <laughs> it was so normal. People adapt. Yeah. yeah. Like our, yeah. What have you found in terms of that kind of thing? Are, are barriers blowing onto people? Are they, are they cool with it? Well, I have to credit your friend for being super chill. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that that's the case for everybody. Sorry. It was me. It was me. It was me holding the tarp. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I think both are true in that there are some people that are increasingly more empathetic and sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are also people who are increasingly more frustrated. And mm. I think that we have to be able to accommodate both. I very, very much appreciate those who are more accommodating and understanding. We don't, you know, for example, we don't have like a time limit on went on how long you can you can dine with us but if we have a tight turn time i am transparent about it and say just so you know we do have a we have a reservation coming in at this time if you know you could work with us on that but at the same time i understand when you're going out and you're dining out nowadays if you're not so inclined to be super cool and calm about the elements um 
there are things that are beyond the restaurant's control for sure. Like when it, when the sky opens up and mm-hmm. it downpours, those are things that I would really hope that folks are more understanding about. But when it comes to the things that are within the restaurant's control, like that tarp, for example, I would hope that it's on us to get it right because just because we're living in a time of crisis and just because we're eating outdoors more than we're eating indoors doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing everything we possibly can to make this, to give you the best experience that you could possibly have. Yeah. Because I think that now more than ever, we're dining out to seek refuge from a reality that is painful and is depressing and if I can give you a little bit of refuge from that, if I can give you a little bit of an oasis for just two hours in a day, that's what we're here for. Right. And if we're not getting those little details right, then we're not doing our jobs. I do think that that's the purpose that we're serving right now as restaurants is to give you something that is either a little taste of our past life, a little bit of normalcy or a little bit of something that isn't normal a little bit some of something that is extraordinary that takes away from the monotony of of life that is 2020 yeah that that really that sinks in because i i feel like so much of the time in thinking about these from like a not being in it and and i guess commenting on it to some extent i'm i'm always pushing the side of like just let restaurants do whatever they want. Like, don't give them shit. This is such a hard time. But like at the end of the day, also, you guys got into it to provide an oasis for people in the best of times. So like I can understand the the impulse is there and the, the kind of like reason to be is to provide an oasis. So like it makes sense that you would still be pushing for that and that would still be the primary goal. It also depends on the type of restaurant too, yeah. because you see like some places they're just like, okay, we're just going to try to survive and we've switched to survival this type mode. of service. Right. Yeah. Survival mode. And like, we've talked about this, Daniel, about how some of the coddling that you're used to as a diner has gone out the window with so many of these places. Cause there's like, we're just, we're just trying to get through this. Like, let's be cool. Um, but I remember I went to the bathroom at Silver Apricot and they have mints and feminine hygiene products. And I almost cried because it just seems so luxurious. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, I think about what are the things that I'm missing that when I'm going out to dine, do I have to stuff in my purse, right? To think ahead of like, and yeah. what can I do where now when I feel like the things that I'm thinking about stuffing in my purse is like a mask and hand sanitizer. So what are the normal things that I'd be stuffing in my purse that I'm probably forgetting about because my brain is like a filing cabinet. I only have enough space to remember three things. And so if I'm remembering my, my hand sanitizer, my sani wipes and my mask, what are all of the other things that I'm going to be forgetting and that anybody else could be forgetting, right? Yeah. And if I can have that for you on site, then that just makes all of our lives a little bit easier. So I'm sorry. I only want to talk. I, I love I love barrier stuff. And Is there like a <laughs> within your industry friends and like are, are you starting to feel that there is are you guys sharing methods, for instance, like you crack the code crack the code but you you figured out these cool like a a good way to get around the contractor doing the plexi is that the kind of thing where like someone comes by and they're like oh these are so much better than ones we have and like have you guys gotten interesting kind of macgyver things from other restaurants okay there's been a lot of um conversations with respect to these things but i we haven't there are things that you pass by and you see and you're like that's a really good idea for example, our carport, like the patio awning that we have, we saw that um, somebody, another restaurant had that pretty early on in the East Village. And we're like, oh, that's like, that's brilliant. We don't have to keep bringing umbrellas in and out. And this was also mm-hmm. kind of before, well, this was also before, you know, you were allowed to have structures outside that were like permanent. And so we kind of just decided we were going to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Uh and that was something that we definitely learned from another restaurant at that point was just, just do it. <laughs> and right. you kind of just have to hope that the city and the neighbors will forgive you for it or, you know, you'll adjust if not. Um, because things move so slowly at that level that if you keep asking for permission, then nothing will ever get done or you'll be perpetually behind the curve. Other restaurants on our street have definitely come to us and asked for things like our barriers and our awning and our umbrellas. And uh, I'm very much like a plan ahead kind of person. And so 
for the most part, with the exception of our outdoor dining tables, I've had everything purchased and stored away as far ahead of time as I possibly can because I learned from the patio dining tables and chairs that everything sells out when it comes time to purchase Mm. those things. So I purchased heaters for us um, in August when it was 95 degrees out. (laughs) And I had them stored in our basement because I said, we're going to sell out of heaters come October. And lo and behold, everybody sold out of heaters now. Um, And how are you and your peer group preparing for the winter? Oh, that's the question of the century is, um, (laughs) you know, I, I don't know. And I think that that's really much that's very much the answer I've given for pretty much everything this year is, you know, I don't even know how I'm handling tomorrow, much less next month. Well, you know, you got heaters. I have heaters. <laughs> I do have heaters. I, uh, but you know, for example, we decided to close on, um, Halloween, which is on Saturday. And that was a really tough decision to make because it's Saturday night business. But at the same time, what do we think the streets are going to be like on Halloween? And, mm. Our prediction is that it's going to be complete mayhem. We think that there could be a lot of chaos on the streets where we seat diners and is um, are large crowds of people that are not necessarily taking the safety precautions that they should be taking, something that we want to subject our diners to. So something that I want to subject my staff to. And I think now more than ever, all of these decisions that we're making is about all of these decisions that we're making are about prudence. And I think we must be prudent for us to persevere. There's a lot of talk about perseverance in restaurants, but I don't think we can persevere without being prudent first. And is that why are mm-hmm. you, would you do indoor dining? I know you're not doing it right now. We're not. And that is also why we're not is I mm-hmm. am. And I, I hold a, probably a not so popular opinion in restaurants in that I think that we were wrong. I think that restaurants were wrong to have pushed so hard for 25% indoor dining so soon. I think we're wrong to continue to push for 50% indoor dining so quickly. I think that we more, like I said now, more so than ever, we need to be prudent. And I think the mindset, at least the loudest mindset, the voices that are in the media right now that represent restaurants are pushing for us to persevere through this. But without being prudent, again, we cannot persevere because if we are hit with a second wave, if we are forced to shut down all over again with no support and no plan, then we won't have restaurants in the spring. And Mm -hmm. for me, I think that what we should really be focusing on is how can we continue to serve safely uh, to either get through the winter safely um, or how do we how are we able to shutter entirely through the winter, uh, perhaps through subsidized wages, um, some sort of program that allows restaurants to close entirely for maybe December and January uh, that ensures that we're not going to be faced with another another wave of a public health crisis come spring. Because for me, I would much rather have, I would much rather have the safety of my guests and the safety of my, the safety of my staff as my utmost priority and ensure that I have a business going forward in the next five to 10 to 15 years, rather than push forward through a time of uncertainty. Well, so just like, I'm sure you have a lot of peers who say like, let's rev it up. Let's who would who would appreciate if we could open it 100% capacity right now because it seems to me that there is maybe not the full market for it but especially uh with a restaurant that it is successful you certainly would be able to fill seats so like what are those conversations like for you when it's someone who you know you very much you respect in the industry saying i I would open right now entirely if I could. And I think that would be the best way to go. I think that we can all disagree respectfully, but that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the fabric of our democracy, right? Where we can't all have, we can't all hold the same opinion and that's okay. And at the same time, I'm not chastising restaurants right now that are, that have opened at 25% capacity. If that's something that they're comfortable doing, that's great. 
also, if that's something that they have the space to do, wonderful. Like, I myself, I lean towards I want to be sitting outdoors when I'm dining in. Uh, dining out, sorry. But if there's an enormous, like, beer hall space, you know, and everybody's seated mm-hmm. 10 feet away from each other, that's not something I'm too concerned about. So I don't think that there's a blanket or universal rule to how we should be doing things. But I do think we need to be a bit more thoughtful about how we're doing them. We've had enough politics in 2020. Do we really need more of it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that we all we get smarter by having these conversations. We get better by having these conversations. We, iron sharpens iron, you know? It's true. And <laughs> it takes a lot. And Hard like you said, like you're when you get stuck in the day-to-day, we do too. And it's very hard to see the forest for the trees. And it's when we're able to have these conversations that we're able to take a step back and say, okay, like I need to check myself and Mm -hmm. see where these people are coming from and understand why we all disagree. And that's to say, I completely understand where business owners are coming from when they are pushing to open, right? They, for them, it is about, and for me, it is very much about how do I pay the rent this month? How do I pay for insurance this month? How... How do I pay for the electricity bills? How do I pay my employees? And so I 100% understand why their incentive and the impetus is to drive business, is to increase covers. I'm suggesting that there is an alternative that isn't necessarily pushing for higher revenue. Um, I think it's about survival in a different way. Uh, I think that we're all just trying to make it through this. Mm-hmm. But there's not one way to do it. Totally. Well, thank you for all of your hard work. Um, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll come by again soon. Oh, we will. I will. I'll go- Except for Daniel. Nope. Daniel's moving to Austin for But month, when I but get back, I will there. go eat there in the middle of winter. And then I will tell Amanda how good it is. And then she will credit someone else. And then I'll go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Daniel, I think we should start off this section of the podcast by doing a little news update. Uh, As I think we all know, the coronavirus pandemic continues to rage on across the United States and Europe. Uh, Newark has added new restrictions this week. Uh, indoor dining now has to close at 8 p.m. and outdoor dining has to close at 11 p.m. Chicago is now shutting down all indoor dining, um, much to the chagrin of the mayor. The mayor is trying to lobby the governor to let them reopen. The governor's not having it. Uh, and in Europe, things are getting very intense. Um, France and Spain, I mean, France, we talked about this before, has that curfew. Um, Spain went back into a state of emergency last week. Uh, Italy moved to shut restaurants by 6 p.m. In Belgium, restaurants closed this month, followed by museums and gyms. And Germany, which was, I feel like, doing pretty well, uh, entered into new restrictions Mm -hmm. this week as well. How are you feeling about New York? I mean, I'm feeling great about New York, but it does feel really tenuous. You know, like seeing this Newark thing, cases in New Jersey are pretty bad. Um this can spread pretty quickly. So we're holding down for now, but who knows how long that will last. How do you feel? Uh, You know, I I feel about New York and about well, everywhere is like, I I guess ideally, you know, you're never going to, especially in America, you're never going to totally shut it down. So like, ideally there is this kind of equilibrium point that you can kind of shift around. I, I, it's, it's, it's more traumatic when those, when those ups and downs are intense, right? Like, I don't mean the spikes in the virus, Mm -hmm. but when you go from 75% capacity to all dining out of the houses closed again, it's obviously a lot more. Right, right, right. Well, New York has been very slow about 
all the reopening. So I think it is more of a gradual thing. And maybe that has helped us. I worry a little bit about Thanksgiving. Like the mayor just asked everyone in New York not to travel for Thanksgiving because he's worried about people bringing it back here. And I I think that's a real concern. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, Thanksgiving, I think is going to be a real moment. The winter is going to be hard to watch. You with with ama- with insane frequency, you're seeing the the heater situation just flourish oh, in yeah. the city. Yeah, the outdoor is it's almost like it's going to be summer throughout the winter. Um, you can uh, now you can kind of do a thing where if you're if you're cold walking around, you can do a quick little pit stop, warm up at some random restaurant's heater until they tell you that this area is reserved for their customers. Um, <laughs> Are you doing that? <laughs> I got my backup real bad the other day. I feel like I get my backup about things once every six months where someone tells me something and I like go like, oh, fuck you. What do but you like mean? the other day, like I feel I feel like a wave of anger, like a, a, a an impulse to talk back to someone like I never I'm pretty good about that. Like I was at Whole Foods, I don't know, a couple months ago and I did not cut this woman in line. But this woman absolutely lost her shit on me, thinking that I had cut her in line. Mm-hmm. She goes, she goes, there's a reason there's a divider there. OK, that's because you don't <laughs> walk in from the left. So, yeah, you may have got here first, but you didn't. You are being so irresponsible. Right. And I was just like, oh, no worries. No worries. I'm so sorry you feel that way. I, I, you know, I, I, I'll do better. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know. I just I usually don't care, but I was standing on Sunday and there was this sports bar, the Ainsworth, and they have this insane outdoor TV setup where uh-huh. they had all the games, all the football games on outside, like 15 TVs. They have each all these in like Las Vegas, all these different little um, cabanas with TVs. Yeah, I've seen this. It's just in, it's nuts, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, w- now I've gotten to the point where I see these outdoor setups. I just I feel immense guilt for the amount of work they have to do at nighttime, I assume, to like bring the stuff oh, in. Yeah. But I'm standing there watching a game like kind of on the corner, you know, mostly out of the way in front of an empty table. And uh, the guy, uh, the, one of the managers comes over and he goes, uh, do you have a reservation? It's like <laughs> on the fucking sidewalk. I'm on the sidewalk. Yeah, and, but and, you, I, and I was like, no, no, you just understand I, he's struggling and you're just soaking in their free entertainment. It, it's not like I'm hurting the environment there. Right. I'm just standing yeah. like all the other people are watching. And I was like, no, no, I was just well, walking. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to need you to keep moving. And I'm like, <laughs> move it along, buddy. I was so mad. Move it's it like along. it is the sidewalk. I mean, I would I, I guess like if I was hurting someone else's experience i would totally understand but i was just like gotta buy a drink if you want to enjoy that football anyway okay can i transition us into something kind of funny absolutely there are these two internet cooking communities that have had (laughs) some drama this week that i think is somewhat entertaining so there's a crock pot facebook group And there was a message that was posted by one of the admins in the group this week that got a lot of attention on the internet um, because of the tone (laughs) of the admin's post. She writes, it has come to my attention that some of you feel as though you are crockpot masters and are elevated beyond helping new crock stars. If this is you, congratulations, you do not need to be part of this group and you may find the exit at the top of the group page with the three little dots. Get them. It goes on to encourage those who feel the need to be rude or condescending to please go to your mother's house and say whatever you are going to type. If she whoops your ass, you probably shouldn't type it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very long message from this admin because apparently she was annoyed that people were getting a little uppity in this group and they were making fun of crockpot images that were ugly or not appetizing. Um, someone asked a question for advice about a picky eater who was their husband and the commenters <laughs> said the husband should just grow up yeah didn't they say uh, to, didn't they say to divorce him yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this admin was just not having it anymore with these what she thinks of as intolerant point of views like the crockpot community needs to be a welcoming one and not a judgmental one yeah i mean this is hilarious because the slow cooker which is the crock pot. Yeah. Is like, I mean, it's kind of like the softest possible form of cooking. 
You know, it's like it's not an yeah. it's not an intense form of cooking. It's not like the whole point of it is it's the easiest freaking thing in the world. Yeah, it's good for novices, good for people who just want to play around with some new things, set it and forget it. It's it's not going to be pretty. I don't even know. It's meant to be ugly. So you basically you put a bunch like a pork. Uh, typically, you put like a pork shoulder or something that takes a long time in the morning and then you come back at night and you have like a perfectly cooked thing and it takes advantage of it works if you are you know working a day away from away from home yeah i have never seen a beautiful looking dish come out of one of these things i'm now looking at crock pot dishes on uh, on on google here and yeah i mean there's some i guess like if you wanted to be real pro with the the level of you know intricacy that in which you put things in like some of these things look colorful i guess and interesting but like you're, you're just you're not big, what you're big, crock you're, big, pot. you're big fish in a small pond here talking shit to other crock pot users it's just not what people go to this group for you know <laughs> but darkness always finds a way you know so then daniel there was another yeah. facebook blow up on the new york times cooking facebook page <laughs> where the moderators removed a post that they uh said broke their rules community guidelines saying that it was too political. So can you uh, talk sure. about what's what happened yeah, there? Yeah, so this is from a, a BuzzFeed article. Um, over the weekend, well, first of all, in preparation for this story, I should say, uh, I attempted to uh-huh. join the New York Times cooking group. They have a series of rules. Mm-hmm. The ones that are relevant to this conversation are rule number one, be kind and courteous, no hate speech, but four, food only, and number nine, no political views. So over the weekend, a member broke that rule and shared a post that, oh, that favored a particular candidate, a definite no-no. The post was yeah. swiftly deleted, and a New York Times group moderator posted that the man's post was removed because he shared a political view in support of a candidate in it, and that breaks one of our group rules. So... That led what uh, a woman on Twitter called a coup in the group in which a coup in which uh, a number of members. It looks like a lot. I mean, I'm just looking at the images here, at least 40, whatever, uh, posted food, quote unquote, food photos that. um, Oh, here it is. Chaya Milchtein, I believe her name is. Uh, the members numbering over 62,000 weren't having it and made it clear that food is undoubtedly political. They began to fashion food to spell vote using captions only directly related to food. The creativity and patriotism is inspiring. Here are some of their creations. So it's like a lavender, a board of lavender that like beautifully spells out vote, some pasta spells out vote, an omelet. I mean, just a lot of food things like what do you think of my And they thought that was sticking it to the man. By spelling out vote with food? Yeah. I think they thought, yeah, they they were sticking it to the sticking it to the New York Times. Moderators of the Facebook group. <laughs> we I think we've talked we've talked about similar things like this. Yeah. I just think you just don't need to talk about voting in the New York Times cooking group. I think it's I think typically you're preaching to the choir, but also it's just like there are so many places to do it. I think that there is such an impulse in people to want to talk about something like voting in the place where it's you're not supposed to do it and then go on about food is political. I just don't think it's I don't personally right. think it's necessary. It's like the and the Times cooking group moderators aren't saying that food isn't political. It's just like we just want to talk about recipes here. That's just what this group is about. We're just here to share recipes and talk about recipes. And it's OK. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we get emails all the time. We have a lot of political work on Eater. We get emails all the time from people being like, ah, like keep your opinions to yourself and whatever. And then I'll say, food is political. We can write about politics. We can write about food. It all goes together. But I feel like there can be corners and spaces where it is just about like, hey, do I put a pinch of salt or like yeah. two pinches of salt? Can somebody help me out and make this dish better? Also, I don't think... I also just don't think telling people to vote is right. that political. I think it's pretty apolitical. Most importantly, Daniel, I don't think it's a coup. <laughs> no, it's certainly not a coup, but it's not it's not a coup, but I think that was her. She might have been being <laughs> silly with that language. I guess, yeah, one thing that I think we I, I do yeah, I think I mean you're seeing so many people tell you to vote. Um 
And I agree with you that telling someone to vote is inherently apolitical, but I think it's very easy in the majority of these cases, whether it's the New York Times Facebook page or vocal celebrities, you typically know what they mean by vote. I mean, often, not what they mean, but often there's a political leaning with the vote. So I could see how someone, I I certainly feel that it's a little bit politicized just saying vote. Um, even though in this case, I'm sure I agree with the political leanings of what I assume the New York Times, I, what I assume the candidate that they posted, unless it was just some troll being like Trump loves lasagna <laughs> or something. I don't know. Either way, I just don't I don't think it's necessary. But I think what is the greatest what I think is a great stifling is the New York Times responded to this woman on Twitter and said we removed the post because it carried we removed the post because it carried a political view in support of a candidate, and that breaks one of our group rules. The vote photographs and the vote photographs the members are posting are beautiful, though, and anyone can make a pro-voting post. See? Yeah, your coup is welcomed, I guess is what they're saying. Enjoy your coup. Yeah, they're like, nice job trying to stick it to us. We love it. Thanks. Keep it going. Keep up the engagement numbers. Keep up the engagement numbers. If I was in this group and people were... Get more people. Get, publicize my new group. And yeah, now maybe more people are going to join. Are, the New York Times... This... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think they... To- cooking community. They totally agree with you. Voting is apolitical. The suggestion to vote is apolitical. I've got to tell you, if I was in this group and I was like, I wonder what I'm going to cook for dinner. And it was just like... Oh, I'm so glad I brought these wine bottles home from the store and they spelt vote. I'd be like, this is so unbelievably not what I'm here for. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, true. Congratulations on your apolitical also, statement, but I am here for recipes, you know? Just to close the circle. Let's keep it open. On, yeah. <laughs> is let's make this group a fun and inviting place. So just like the croc stars yeah. on the other corner of Facebook, you cannot have negativity in this yeah. group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just good to keep in mind if you want to join some recipe communities. Can you imagine just to touch? Don't make, don't make fun of people's posts. To touch. Well, right. Uh, of course. Yeah. Unless they've got the wrong candidate. Uh, can you imagine in the Crockstars group, just to go back on that a sec, like someone putting up like, did my first pork shoulder and it's just like brown and mushy and whatever. And they're like, Ew. yeah, what temp did you have that on? Oh my 63? God. Like, Disgusting. Yeah, you left that in. Oh, you clearly left that in for 15 hours instead of 13. You fucking loser. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I think that preparing dishes that are going to end up beautiful in the crock pot and then still require you to put them in another vessel is i think a silly use of time but listen i don't know and i but crock pots are great because they're apolitical all right daniel what else we got this is a lawsuit from uh uh, the the actual uh charge is from 2016 but Mm -hmm. um it is you know in one of our favorite subjects which is delivery delivery companies Uh, screwing over the little guy. Uh, Instacart in D.C. uh, Instacart obviously is the grocery delivery company um, had. (laughs) God, this is so good. Have you seen this? No. They had a service charge um, built into their orders. This is back in 2016. They've since removed it. Uh And it says service 10 percent. And there's a little green, there's green text to it saying, like, offering the ability to change it. Oh, implying that, like, okay, this is a service charge. I want to give 20% as a service charge. Implying that it's for the Instacart worker. Sure, that's what you'd assume reading that. By, in the fact that I'm reading you the story, what is your assumption? That 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 it actually just goes straight straight to Instacart. Instacart. (laughs) Like, you know what, you know what, Instacart, I love this service so much (laughs) that you are providing me. The Instacart service, and I'm going to tip 20% just to you. I mean, I find this uh, fat. Yeah. And then is there, but then is there a tip field also? No, it doesn't okay. seem so, like it is based on okay. this, based on this lawsuit. No, I feel like eventually we're going to look back on this wild, wild west time of no regulations for these companies and just be aghast that this was happening. It's like, oh, remember <laughs> when we used to just let people do whatever? Remember when we were tipping Instacart? So shitty. Last story. Uh, I, I freaking love this story so much so there is a as you know it's been a while since we talked about a burger king stunt but um there's a cnn article that uh saying so burger king offered a free whopper 
<laughs> if you visit a rival's shuttered restaurant. What? <laughs> a scare if you visit a rival it's a Halloween thing. If you visit a rival's scary shuttered restaurant, isn't that wow. freaking hilarious? That's yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah. So to us, nothing is scarier. This is uh Ellie Doty. Dance on the Dottie, corpse of our enemies. The chief marketing officer of Burger King in North America. Nothing is scarier than a place that never flame grilled. While Halloween looks a bit uh, different this year, we're embracing that in a way that keeps guest safety top of mind in current times. The burger chain will offer a free Whopper to customers who drive by one of the scariest places on earth. Five shuttered restaurants once operated by rivals McDonald's, Wendy's, Sonic, or uh, Jack in the Box. Um, customers just went within 300 feet of one of the listed abandoned locations can confirm their location on the Burger King app to receive a free coupon, receive a coupon for a free Whopper. I think it's, that the, the impulse is to assume that this is like a pandemic thing, like places that didn't survive COVID fucking jump on their graves. This is, this is about these places closed like five or six years ago. And some, I think in some cases it's just like the remaining land from where one used to be. Still savage. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's that as long as it's like. It's important to remember the McDonald's are owned. They're all franchises. It's not just some behemoth corporation. Like a failed McDonald's yeah. is a failed career for someone. So wait, so it has to have closed before the pandemic to qualify? The list locations listed appear to have closed years ago, but the advertising campaign could be seen in poor taste, given that fast food companies have permanently closed hundreds of locations as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, seems in poor taste, I think is accurate. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I agree. I don't know another way to read it. <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't seem in poor taste. I'm just saying I think the impulse would be like, whoa, this is really poor taste. I'm like, I kind of, it's poor taste and I kind of, I mean, it's just like, at least they're thinking out of the, the box. You love you it. Know? You I love don't it. love it. I don't love it. You want to give I appreciate like a special ad week award to the CMO for this campaign. <laughs> oh, that closed restaurant ruined lives one. Yeah, I, I was big. I was big into that. I was whoppering for days. I mean, it's kind of like, I like it more than Pokemon Go in terms of tracking down a geolocation. I'll tell you that. Anyway, Amanda, we got to wrap up. Thank you so much for doing this episode. Uh, You know, I appreciate your time. I uh, Thank you to Emmeline Zhao of Silver Apricot. Mm -hmm. Thank you to you, Daniel. uh, Oh, no problem. Thank you. You know what? Thank you for turning me on to that restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. I do what I can, you know, and thank you for the credit because it feels really good. Always. I would never forget. (laughs) All right. See you guys next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.